And it's so wonderful seeing all of you here. What a week it's been. Sunday's camp was incredible. You know, I have sometimes told some of our older members that if they ever get discouraged and they think there's no hope for the world and they think young people aren't serious about following God, they just need to go at least one evening to Sunday's camp, and it's going to change their view of a lot of things. It was an incredible week. So, so grateful for that. I know Art and others who are playing are exhausted um, because of that whole week and then week before that, but we're really grateful for all that they do. And, and I guess I need to, need to tell Art to take some time off. Do you think, Blake? Or, or, he takes a lot of time off, though, right? He could take some more. No. He, he, is, he is all in, and I'm so grateful for his ministry. So it's a good thing. And it won't be long before you're going to be heading out, Blake, for training. That's going to be August, right? That's kind of exciting, isn't it? You know what? We need you to preach next Sunday. Can you preach next Sunday? It sounds like something I just came to here. Actually, actually, I was thinking in the worship, I thought, you know what? Blake Blake's needs, to, he needs to preach next Sunday because one thing, we just need to hear the word of the Lord, and he knows how to break open the word and connect us with the message there. So I'm grateful for that. But also, we need to hear more about what developments are going on. So why don't you plan on that? Is that Okay. Okay, you can't say no when I ask you in front of everybody. There's a camera on. That's right. I mean, whoever's watching online knows that you are now committed. But we're excited about that. Now, if you don't know, our church, we study the Bible together. And right now, we are in the middle of John's gospel, John chapter 13 specifically. Some of you are coming here from life groups, so you've already been studying that passage. I want to focus on one verse in that chapter that is so very important and so very significant. It's John chapter 13, verse 34. Look what it says. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a short verse, but there's so much here. Jesus calls this love command a new commandment, which is strange because the Bible elsewhere tells us we are to love others and even love one another. It's not like this is the only place. I think what's going on, though, is Jesus establishing the new covenant is telling his disciples that they are to live in this new messianic community with a new level of commitment to one another. Specifically, you're to love each other as I have loved you. In other words, inspired by the love of Jesus and even empowered by the love of Jesus, you are to love as you have never loved before and as human beings have never loved before. This is really interesting because The whole emphasis is on loving other Christians. We often talk about loving the outsider. And in fact, the Bible talks a lot about that. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that emphasis again and again. Classically, in Luke's gospel, we read the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
the one who loves the outsider. If we're going to have an impact on the world, we have to love people who are in the world. But you know what? The Bible puts at least as much emphasis. In fact, in the New Testament, it puts even more emphasis on love within the community of faith. Love has to begin at home. It has to begin right here. And in the Gospel of John, that's the emphasis. Not just the Gospel, the letters of John. That's the emphasis. Not loving the world, though we're told that God loves the whole world. That's why he sent his son. Absolutely, we're to love the world. But the emphasis is on the community of faith. We need to love each other. That's so important because until we do that, we have no authenticity in the eyes of the world and we're not a, a refuge for people in the world. Let me give you an idea of just how frequently this is said. I could, I could read scripture on this all morning. I really could. But let me just read a few from John, the gospel and from the letters. Look what it says. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command love each other. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Isn't that interesting how often that emphasis is on loving one another? Essentially, this is a call to community. God wants his people to form community, not in some abstract theoretical sense. Oh, I'm a believer, so I now belong to the church universal. But in the concrete, specific sense of individual congregations, people getting to know each other, caring about each other, expressing the love of Christ to one another. That's what God wants. He wants to promote community. Now, that word community, I made a big deal about it a few weeks ago. Do you remember? Oh, 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 oh. I won't identify my brother here who just shook his head no. <laughs> Please tell me you remember. You're out of town. Well, that's a good excuse. That's a good excuse. I don't know how good of an excuse it was because we do have it online. <laughs> In fact, someone told me this morning, uh, we have some life groups that meet at 8.15 at before the 9.30 service. Um, one of our members said, listen, I saw something I've never seen in church before. I said, what was that? Well, we were having our life group meeting at 8.15 and one of, one of the, our members wasn't able to come to life group. They were out of town, but they Zoomed in, so they were part of it virtually. And there in the middle of life group, they reeled in this big bass. <laughs> so, they, so they were off fishing, but they didn't want to miss life group. I'm not sure how to interpret that. I don't know whether to praise that or what. <laughs> But I'm glad they were tuned in. So, so kind of good excuse, but eh, maybe not. Here's what I'm hoping you remember. I hope, please tell me, you remember. I was talking about the vision of our church. 
and our strategy for having an impact on our community and beyond. As a church, we are called to be, and we are a Christian community serving a world in need. That's what we are, a Christian community. To say Christian is to say that as Christ has loved, so we are committed to loving one another. Yes, we love the world, but we need to love one another. We're a Christian community. And in the course of talking about that, I had a six-point sermon. But having mercy on all of you, I turned it into two sermons over two weeks. But here are the points. If you, do you remember any of the points? Do you remember what I'm talking about? If you don't, here's your review. Soak everything in prayer. Follow the prompting of the Spirit. Preach the gospel in word and deed. Promote community. Build up families. Meet needs. Heal hurts. Those are the six things that I think God has given us to focus on as a congregation. And right in the heart of it is promote community. Now, all these six, they, they mutually support one another. They overlap with one another. But right in the heart, as I say, is community. And at the heart of community is love, loving one another as Christ has loved us. Now, here's what we're up against. As Americans, we're not particularly good at community. That's just a fact. We're not real good at it. And, and I'm, I'm confessing myself to be guilty, and, and I suspect that most of you can see in your life that, that you know, you're, you're typical American. You kind of keep your distance. Not all of us, but some of us, maybe most of us, we kind of keep our distance from people. We want to keep our options open. We don't want to get overcommitted to relationships. I mean, that's, that's kind of the tendency. Many years ago, I saw, I saw an example of how Americans are not even aware of how they they shun community. I saw an example of it in myself. So I'm at LSU. I'm working with a campus ministry. We have an office right off campus. Somebody knocks on the door, and I open the door, and a young man standing there, I don't recall, but I'm pretty sure he was an LSU student. He was, I suspect, as I recall, from a, a Middle Eastern nation. I don't remember which one. He might have told me at the time, but it's been a lot, long time. He spoke with heavily accented English, and he was trying to find somewhere. I don't remember what it was, but there was something he was looking for, and, and I didn't know. I didn't know. So I was very friendly. Oh, well, you know what? I'm not sure, but if you go right here next door, uh, I think they may know, so why don't you, why don't you go check with them? So he kind of looked at me funny, and he started to walk away, and he stopped, and he turned around, and he said, in my country, you wouldn't just point where someone was supposed to go. You would make an effort to help them find what they're looking for. That's true, right? That's exactly right. Now, I've got to tell you what my response was. I was a little miffed. I was a little miffed. And please understand, I am not proud 
of this response. It's so typical, though. It's so typical. I am not proud of it. In fact, in fact, I'm thinking, do I really want to share this <laughs> to an international? I did. I said it. I'm sorry. I said it. In our country, we wouldn't do that. And I said, well, you're not in your country. Ooh, not good. You know, it was like, it was like the perfect picture of the ugly American. There I was. Well, you're not in your country. You know, I was miffed, and I was just, ah. But, you know, I've often thought back to that incident, not only because I think, ah, oh, I wish I could have a redo. What a great, what a great witness. But also because I thought, you know, when they came to the door and I said, you know, you might try next door here, I didn't think I was putting them off. I thought I was being very helpful. It never occurred to me that in a spirit of hospitality, I should receive them and say, you know what, let's find this out together. I'm not sure. Let's go together. Let's go ask these folks. It never even occurred to me to do that. Why not? Because I'm an American. That's not the way we do things. I mean, with exceptions, I understand that, but typically that's not the way we do it. We're much more hands-off, much more, you know, don't get involved. Um, I think if you Google it, you'll be able to find it, that kind of thing. So as Americans, we tend to not be really good at community, at connecting, at showing love for one another. So again, Quite a few years ago, I, I met a young man who was a grad student. He's from China. And uh, I invited him to lunch. And since I was paying, I chose McDonald's. And so we're sitting there feasting on our meal. And, and we're just getting, you know, getting to know each other. We're comparing notes. And, and, and I was interested in what it was like traveling all the way from China to the United States. How's it different? What, what's similar? What's different? What are your impressions? The first thing he said was, he, he pointed to his face. He says, Americans are just so open, he said. Their faces are open, and they smile so much. I thought that was interesting. He said, Americans smile so much. And he said, Americans are so friendly, and I was feeling pretty good about that. I was expecting him to say something negative. He said, no, Americans, they smile so much and they're so friendly, they're so open. He said, the only thing is, even though they're friendly, it's really, really hard to become a friend of an American. Really. Yeah, because it's always like this. Hey, so glad to see you. But it's always like that. Is that true of you? I think it's true of, of most of us. We, we don't want to impose, and we don't want to get obligated, and we sort of keep our distance. You know, we sometimes think the Amish are a strange group of people because they reject so much of modern society and modern technology. So you won't find an Amish home with a television in it. Um, they don't drive automobiles. They have the horse and buggies. Do you know why they do it? It's not that they're just against all technology because they're totally, they're totally on board with medical technology. If, if someone is sick, they, they want to use all you know, means to, to get well, medicine, surgery, all the rest. They're not against technology per se. 
but they don't want to lose touch with one another. So one of the reasons they don't use automobiles is because it tends to create an independence from one another. There's a researcher at uh, Arizona State University. His specialty is technology, and he was curious about the, the Amish, and he went to visit them, and he interviewed them. And this issue of automobiles came up, and he asked them, what, what about that? And they said, well, we don't drive automobiles because we don't want to have happened to us what's happened to your society. What do you, what do you mean? He said, well, if you run out of something, you run out of eggs, what do you do? You get in your car and you drive, and 30 minutes later, you haven't gone to the store, you've got the eggs you need. You don't go to your neighbor. With us, it's a half-day journey if we're going to get in our horse and buggy and get some eggs at the store. So what do you do? What do you do? You, you rely on your neighbors. There's give and take. And then he asked this researcher, he said, do you know the name of your neighbors? And he had to admit he didn't. <laughs> I don't know the name of many of my neighbors. I get in my car. I open the garage. I'm out. I drive back. I close the garage. I'm in the, I'm in the house. I have to make a special effort. And, and generally, I don't want to make a special effort. And if, I, if we run out of eggs, it never even occurs to me. It would never occur to me to go to somebody next door and borrow some. So what the Amish are trying to do is to promote community. We desperately need that. It's what Jesus calls us to, to love one another. That's really what he's after is community. The heart of community is love. He's not trying to uh, call us to some kind of individualistic, spiritual virtuosity. You know, you're, you're trying to become some extraordinary Christian that you love like he loves. He's calling us to community. Love one another. This is for all believers, to love one another. We desperately need this. Our very health depends on it. I saw a study uh, just recently that found that people who have a network of friends, a solid network of friends, are at any given time 50% more likely to live and not die. In other words, at any point, anybody could die, but if you have a solid network of friends, you are 50% less likely to die at any given time. That's almost like a vaccine, right? I mean, think about it. There are other studies that show the same. I saw one that said that people who live in isolation have health outcomes about as bad as people who smoke. Isn't that something? That's something. We desperately need the connection. And Facebook doesn't count. It's official, by the way. There was a, there was a court case in Florida, and there, there was an effort to have the judge removed because someone involved in the case was her Facebook friend. And a court actually ruled on that, that that was not a conflict of interest, and, and the judge didn't have to recuse herself because we all know that Facebook friends aren't real friends. 
Now, I understand that was being appealed. I don't know how the appeals worked out, but we know it's true. Facebook friends aren't real friends. In fact, there is quite a bit of research now. It's been going on for several years, and there's a solid body of research that indicates that the more you use Facebook, the less likely you are to thrive emotionally, psychologically, and even physically that what people need are not Facebook friends, they need real friends. And not virtual connection, they need real connection. So Facebook tracks all kinds of unhappiness. That's not gonna get us anywhere. We need each other. And it's not just a matter of what we feel like we need. This is important to discipleship, to being authentic, Jesus-following people because we're not called to be separate. And God is not just all about saving you and me as individuals. He's about raising up a community, a church that is the body of Christ in this world. Through the church, God is reaching the world. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so he's raising up a church and that church has to be connected, strong in relationships, loving one another, And that means serving one another, but it also means allowing ourselves to be served. Sometimes that's the hardest part, isn't it? Sometimes that's the hardest part. Have you ever heard of of Eugene Peterson? Pretty well-known Christian author. If you've ever seen the paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, he's the one who actually produced that. Remarkable man. He has something I think worthy to say in this connection. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholesomeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. It's that last line. I am not myself by myself. The Bible makes it clear at the very beginning that we're created for community. It's not good for man to be alone. God creates the woman. They are to become one. It's in our very DNA that we need connection with one another. I cannot be myself, and I cannot be the faithful disciple I've been called to be by myself. That is so hard to get through our heads, but it's the truth. We need to get close enough to one another that we connect with one another and we can love one another at close range. That's what we're called to do. And that's what the Lord wants us to make a commitment to do. And so, so we have to connect. Uh, This, a little over a week ago, my wife, Linda, and I had our second annual Camp Marmee. She's Marmee. And this is for our grandkids. We want these cousins to get together. Maybe you've heard something similar called Cousins Camp. We have them come to our house and we have all kinds of activities. We, we have them swim until they're ready to drop from exhaustion so that they'll go to bed fairly early and give us some peace. I mean, this wears you out. Having young children around, that is a young person's sport. Now, the official name The official name is not Camp Marmee. The official name is Camp Marmee Papa. I've got the T-shirt. It says, time for some more fun. You know, like some more as we did that. And it says, Camp Marmee Papa 2021. But the only reason the Papa's added there is Linda was trying to rope me in to help. 
So she changed the original name Camp Marmy to Camp Marmy Papa. So there you have it. So we were scoping things out, trying to make sure that, that we were ready for them to come. So we go down to Cameron Park, and we're trying to find a trail that the little kids can walk on that won't be too demanding, but it'll be exciting. And, and we thought, you know, we ought to check out the, the Mammoth National Monument because they might be interested in that. So we went there to, to check that out, and we ended up taking them there. Now, of course, what's a national monument without a gift shop? So there's a gift shop there, and we, we're checking it out because we're thinking, you know, we're grandparents. Grandparents buy things for their kids, spoil them rotten. That's, that's, that's your job. So we're checking that out, and we're looking at the different trinkets. Most of it's junk, but some of it's kind of nice. They got a little section of puzzles. I personally hate puzzles, but I have grandchildren that like them, and my wife likes them, so sometimes we'll have puzzles out on the table, and they get put together over time. So I'm looking at these puzzles, and some of them are more complicated than others. I picked up a box. I think it had 250 pieces. I shook it. You could hear all those pieces. I thought, nope, too many pieces. That's not going to work. Put it back. But with the puzzle, you've got the large picture, and then each piece, each piece fits into the picture, but you've got to snap it into the right place. You, you can look at it and tell it belongs in the picture, but you don't always know exactly where. But that's what the puzzle's all about. You spread out the pieces, and you start working them together. A lot of Christians think of the Christian life as as being a puzzle piece, and they're in that box. You can shake them around, but they're not really connected with anybody. And the way they look at it is, you know, I'm just, I just, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not a Baptist. I'm not Presbyterian. I'm not this. I'm not, I'm not really tied down to church. Oh, I don't really believe in all that. You know, I just love everybody. I want to be, I want to be a Christian, you know, with a, just somehow related to everyone. But it's all loose. It's all ill-defined. And it misses the point of what God's trying to do in the world because God is raising up a church who is the body of Christ. We are to be the image of Christ. And unless every piece is snapped together with every other piece, you don't see Jesus. You don't see Jesus. You can't do what the Lord wants to do through you unless you're committed to community. That's just the truth. And it's one of those things where typically Americans aren't real good at it, but we need to get good at it. So how do we get good at it? Jesus said we need to love others as he, or one another as he has loved us. Now, we know what that means. It means to love sacrificially. Jesus goes to the cross. But I don't want us to focus just on that because sometimes that misses, that misses everything. See, I love my wife sacrificially to this extent I wouldn't hesitate, not for a moment, to lay down my life for her. That's the honest truth. That's the honest truth. I would. And she knows it. But that doesn't help a whole lot when I cut her off because I don't want to hear what she's saying, or I raise my voice, or I behave selfishly. She may know, in fact, she does know, she does know, she doesn't have any doubt that I would die for her. I would. But she'd also like me to be thoughtful and polite and kind. And she doesn't typically feel very loved if I'm not those things. I know, I know, I know, of course, I'm always that way. 
I'm just using this as an illustration. I wake up to angelic music every morning, and I am just wonderful in my good moments. Um, So, you know, actually, actually, I was kind of I was kind of rude a couple of days ago, and we had to work through some of that. So, you know, in real life, we can talk about sacrificing everything, but in real life, in the ordinary day, sometimes it's just a matter in small things to pay attention to people. And so, with that in mind, I would say, yes, we need to follow the example of Christ. Read 1 Corinthians 13. That describes love. You might as well be describing Jesus. Yes to all that. But... In practical terms, for sinners like us, very briefly, and then we're going to close, let me suggest three things that loving one another in the church involves. The first is to love with deeds. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Talk is cheap. We need to get close enough to one another that we're involved in each other's lives and we do something. You know, when there's a need, we act like friends. So deeds, not just talk and not just feeling. To feel love, eh, that's a good thing, I suppose, but if that's all it is, it's really nothing. Then secondly, love by forgiving. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we are to be forgiving and accepting. Listen, the people we're called to love They're sinners, they're faulted, they're flawed. There will be no community unless we're committed to forgive each other. But then thirdly, sometimes this is the most difficult. We need to love by seeking forgiveness. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, don't get all religious on God. If there's something that a person has against you, you've wronged them, you've hurt them, you need to go to them and get that right and seek forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Humble yourself. That's all part of it. And that's what community requires. So what I want to do, we're not going to close with any singing. We're going to close with just a moment of prayer. And I'd like us to go in a reverse order. I'd like us to consider first uh, areas in which, in which we have harmed or hurt or disappointed somebody else. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to remind us of those things and to give us the grace to put those things right. That's part of loving each other. And then second, the areas in which We've been hurt, and it's so hard to forgive. And then third, ways in which God would use you to bless others. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love and grace you have shown us. 
in sending Christ to bear our sins, Lord, you have poured out your mercy and grace, and we're grateful for that. Lord, we pray that you would bring to our remembrance things that we so conveniently forget, ways in which we've hurt others. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the humility to push through the awkwardness, to ask for forgiveness, to make amends, to do what we can to repair the damage that's been done. Lord, help us to do it and not procrastinate on it, but to do it even today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, to forgive and not judge, but to allow you to be God and not to pose as gods ourselves. Help us to forgive, Lord, when it's so difficult. Sometimes the wounds are so deep, but God, by your grace, we can do it and we ask you to help us. And then, Lord, we pray that you would show us how we can love others in practical ways. Father, we know that, that you love us and you care for our needs, but we also know you want to set us free from being preoccupied with ourselves. Help us, Lord, to turn outward, to see other people, to love other people in action. Show us how we pray. And we offer ourselves to you your redeemed people. Lord, may we love as you've loved us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.